Hey, let me ask you, have you ever picked up a hobby that you didn't stick with? Have you ever picked up like a fascination that was just that, a fascination for a little while and then it like, it, it didn't really last? Anybody ever been on a diet that didn't last, right? Like, and, and we only got five months until we pick up new fascinations called resolutions and, uh, and, and then, you know, we'll see if you last till February. I know I don't. Um, I was thinking through, I'm like, man, what are some things in my life that like I had at one point, but then I dropped. Like, and I began to think like years ago, years ago, uh, do y'all remember those maps with the state quarters? Y'all remember when the state quarters used to come out and you're like, oh man, I, I mean, this guy's young, but at least he's, you know, I remember the state quarter maps. Okay. And I remember like every time you got a quarter with that state on it, you wanted to put it in the map. And it was like, man, this thing's going to be worth something one day. Yeah. I mean, not more than 50 times 25, but like, and notice I did not have the answer because in my head, I, I don't have it. Um, but I remember picking that up. And then I'm like, man, even in my, my age now, it's like, man, you know, it, it's hard to have hobbies as an adult. Like, there's things that I, I, I do. Like, I play golf. I played yesterday and got a wicked, like, sunburn on the back of my neck, and it was a little warm. But then I think, like, there's, there's even things like, like video games. I'll pick up video games and play with some buddies or play with my nephews for, like, six months, and that's all I want to do. And then for, like, a year, I'll put it down, and I'm like, I don't care about that. It's video games. What do I care about that? And then it's like, well, let me get back into it. And then I thought, you know, as a church plant, you know, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but we started this church a little over two and a half years ago, and being a part of a church plant is like, man, sometimes it's, it's not a bad thing to drop something. Like, you have to be willing to take risks, and then when they don't work, just cancel it. Just call it out. And I begin to think about not just citizens, but my time and, and my wife's time in Raleigh, because we spent time in the Raleigh area, 2016 to 2020. And we helped start a church in 2016 in Raleigh where I served on staff there for four years. And I begin to think, like, what are some things that I did at that church that were just like, man, they were, they stuck. And I could go to a real spiritual answer, but I'm not. Because the one thing that stuck, and I got some folks in the room that were with me in Raleigh that have since moved here, is every Sunday for about three years, I put on a captain's hat and gave tours to people after church. Like, literally, I would meet you under the tent with a captain's hat on because my job was like first impressions, connections, stuff like that. And basically what I would do is I would have a tour and we would walk through the building. And it was such a like a catchy thing to do. Like, it's one of those things that I'm like, man, this is not going to last more than a couple weeks. Like when Dylan, who's the pastor there, you know, we were talking through this. We're like, man, how can we really like connect with people after service? And he was like, man, I, I think if we... Like, what if we gave tours, you know, just answered questions? Like, what if we wore a captain's hat? <laughs> I am not joking you, okay? We were close to NC State, had a handful of state students, and there was one tour, man, that some state students would go on the tour multiple times with their friends. <laughs> I mean, we didn't sell tickets, but if we did, if we did. So I literally did that. Like, there are still pictures on New City's Facebook of, like, who's... Who's the dude in the captain's hat? That's me. Now, it was so sweaty because, you know, in the summer months, I'm standing outside in the parking lot. Well, this is how we started. They just retired it. Like, I, I truly believe, like, I was trying to pass that on for a legacy thing, and they just threw it away because it was like, no, no one else is, is wearing that. But that's what I did. I stuck with that. But, man, have you ever had an experience that's the opposite? That's like, this was, this was such a good idea. This was such good intentions. This was This was awesome for a few weeks. And what this reveals is the nature of our being, or at least a, a good part of it, and I think you'll agree with me, is that we, you and I, can have the best of intentions but not follow through. We can have the best of intentions. 
have all the reason in the world why we're doing this or that or this or that. But how many times, not with video games or hobbies or quarter maps or captain's hats, but with things that truly matter, how many times have your intentions let you down? They were there. They were there. All the intention in the world was to do good, was to get better, get healthier, get stronger. But it quickly faded. And yeah, it's silly when it's a quarter map. It's, it's not so silly and it's not funny when it's your faith. It's just not funny anymore. And here's the reality that we live in. Your faith is not exempt. Your faith is not exempt from being stretched to the point that you don't know if you want this anymore. Especially, especially when your faith comes through suffering. See, one of the things I said as I started this service was like, man, we, we all have this one thing in common. It's called the human experience, right? Where, where one day is really great and the next day is just really, really bad. And if we had time, we could go around and share stories of just, man, like this is a struggle. This is hard right now. Whatever it might be, we could do that if we wanted to. But I, I, I believe that while um, this is the reality we live in and our faith is not exempt, it is something that we can learn from. The human experience, the human reality of suffering is something that we can learn from, especially through the lens of faith. And if you don't have the lens of faith this morning, we are so glad that you are here. You can belong before you believe. But what we want to do this morning is offer you a view from the lens of faith because Eugene Peterson, who's one of my favorite authors, asks this question in his book, Long Obedience in the Same Direction. This is what he asks about faith under trial. Is faith in general only good under a season of perfection? Or is it something to be battle-tested, standing ground, growing, and forming under the harshest conditions? He begins with this question, is faith only good under a season of perfection? Now, don't answer that too quickly because you might be tempted to say yes. How much stronger is your faith when everything is good in your life? How much stronger do you seemingly feel, like, man, everything is going good, and under this season of perfection, my faith is pretty strong. But then he asks the question, but is it only good for that? Or is faith just as good or maybe even better as something to be battle-tested, standing ground, growing and forming under the harshest conditions? You see, so many of us have the best of intentions when it comes to our faith. We want to come to church more. We want to give more. We want to read more. We want to pray more. And all those things are really good. All those things, I would say yes and amen, that it's not the devil telling you to give more of your money away. And if it's not the devil, it, it's probably the Lord. It's not the enemy saying, uh, go to church this morning, even though you, you had a late Saturday night. That's probably the Lord. And so all those things are good. However, however, left to just intentions, left to just intentions, those things will fail us. And when life happens, we may be white-knuckling it. And if that is part of your story, then today's psalm is going to be greatly encouraging to you. If you want to go ahead and turn to Psalm 129, we have been in this section of psalms for the summer called the Psalms of Ascent. And basically, the Psalms of Ascent is Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And they are songs that ancient Hebrew Israelites would sing on their way to Jerusalem. We know that at least three times a year, 
any Jews, any Hebrew Israelites would travel to Jerusalem, the holy city, three times a year for different festivals and different feasts. And um, they would sing these songs on their way. And these songs may not be in order. But this is a section of songs that they would sing inwardly. They would sing corporately. We see many different genres, right? If you've been with us, we've seen lament. We've seen joy. We've seen sorrow. We've seen wisdom. We've seen proclamation. We've seen all these things through the Psalms of Ascent. And here's what we have known, and here's what we've been doing together for the summer. We know that ancient Hebrews would travel upward, and that's why they're called the Psalms of Ascent, right? Jerusalem was the highest city in Palestine, and so they would ascend towards the holy city as the holy city represented God. And yet those of us in 2023 can also sing these Psalms of Ascent because we too are ascending, not physically but spiritually. We are ascending towards our holy God, and as much as we would like, like our GPS on road trips, where we're like, avoid tolls. If we could do it, we would put this faith journey that says what? Avoid sin, avoid suffering, avoid struggle. So many times, faith feels like one step forward, two steps back, and we're like, are we even on the same road anymore? This is why you need these songs. Memories. That's right. I was just about to say, you ever heard a song on a road trip, and it brought back memories of something? That's why they had these, because they needed to sing it together to remember, because on this faith journey, God's people, and we're going to get here, have always been tested, have always been under fire, and they have songs like today's song that they would sing together. Psalm 129 is a psalm of perseverance in the midst of toil, pain, and hardship. But unlike your hobby, diet, or latest fad, the perseverance that we speak of today is not to boost the confidence in you. If you leave thinking you got this today, I have utterly failed and we have not heard from the Lord. Because the reality today is that you don't got this. I don't got this. And unlike the diet, unlike the fad, unlike the quarter map, where it's like, I can do that. <laughs> this is different, and why? I wrote this in my notes. Write this down if you're taking notes. Because faith is the assurance that the Lord is preserving you, not you preserving yourself. Faith is the assurance, the trust, the belief that the Lord is preserving you, and you aren't preserving yourself. So many of us today, especially living in America, it's like, man, we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Anything I had, I worked hard for it. And you should work hard. But so many of us today feel like, man, I am holding myself together. In the good, in the bad, in the ugly. So many of us today feel as if we are holding ourselves together. And maybe this has crept into your faith journey. And you feel like you are holding your faith together. And you are one experience away from losing it all. Today, you need to know that you are not holding yourself. Today, you need to know that you are not preserving yourself. You may think you are, but left to your intentions, left to your best intentions, left to your best willpower, man, what we know is that I am still struggling and I need someone outside myself. The Lord, the Lord, hear me. The Lord Jesus is holding you by the power of his word through the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf. He is holding you right now by the power of his word and by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Think about this. You are doing nothing to hold your skin on your body right now. You are doing nothing to make your heart beat. 
You did nothing to make the sunrise. The Lord is holding you by the power of his word through the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf. Faith is the assurance. As Hebrews, 1, you know, t- uh, Hebrews 11 tells us, verse 1, like it is the proof of not seeing, but it's, it's even more than that. Practically, it is your belief that the Lord is preserving you and you are not preserving yourself. So let's jump, jump into it because this is a song that after we sing it, and we're not going to actually sing it unless you want to, um, after we read it together and after we sing it together, um, you're going to think, man, I, I like... <laughs> I can't hold myself. Verse one, it'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible. And I just want to throw this out there too, and sometimes I forget, but if you don't own a Bible, we have free Bibles in the lobby because we, we would love to, to get a copy of God's word in your hand. So if you need a Bible, uh, please, let's, we'll get you one after service. But verse one, Psalm 129, it says this. Since my youth, they have often attacked me. Let Israel say. Since my youth, they have often attacked me, but they have not prevailed against me. Plowmen plowed over my back. They made their furrows long. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the ropes of the wicked. Verse 1. Since my youth they have attacked me. And then the writer throws in this. Let Israel say. And what this tells us is that this was a corporate song. It was a corporate song. It was a song that was sung together, that when the, 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 the choir master who would read this aloud and would sing, and he'd say, since my youth they have attacked me, he would say, let Israel say, and then Israel would respond, the audience would respond, since my youth they have attacked me. This isn't the point of the sermon, but it just gets me thinking that our faith is personal, but it's never private. That this song, when it comes to suffering, was a communal song. It was not just the songs of celebration and how good the Lord is that was communal. It was the songs of suffering that they said, hey, we need to come together and actually gave a call to worship. The call to worship. Let Israel say, because everybody in the audience was all in agreement. Let Israel say, yep, we have all been attacked since our youth. And in the first couple verses here, a theme stands out. Mainly the theme of suffering but with hope and victory. And where we're going for the rest of the sermon today, just in the little time that we have together, this is what I wrote in my notes, because not only is faith the assurance, faith is the trust that the Lord is preserving you and you are not preserving yourself, but where we are going this morning is really jumping off of this, and this may be hard to hear, and it's hard for me too, but let us just sit in this for a moment, and it's this, that nothing reveals the Lord's preserving power of his people like suffering. Nothing, nothing Nothing, nothing, nothing. I wish there was another way. I really do. Nothing reveals the Lord's preserving power of his people like suffering. Suffering is the human condition that you and I live in. And the church knows this well. Much of church history is suffering. Much of Israel's history is suffering. Since my youth, he says in verse 1. Since my youth, they have attacked me. And this is very specific that he says since my youth, because what it does is it references back to Hosea. And in the book of Hosea, we're not going to flip there, but if we were in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, this is what the Lord says. When Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And the writer here is since my youth. 
they have attacked me. What is he referencing back to? He's referencing back to the moment that Hosea is talking about where God called them out of Egypt because in Egypt, what was happening for the ancient Hebrew Israelites? Not good stuff. They were in slavery. They were owned. And Israel is saying corporately, man, I remember. I remember since my youth they have attacked me. These references in both uh, Psalm 129 and Hosea 11 is referencing back to the Exodus and God's people. Consequently, one of the reasons that they would travel to Jerusalem three times a year is one time was to celebrate and remember the Exodus slash Passover. They would go to Jerusalem to take part in this festival. So it only makes sense that they would sing this song. Since my youth, I remember how they attacked me. But this verse is not just referencing back to that. But this verse is pointing us to something more. And Hosea does that beautifully for us. That they didn't just escape the attacks. God called them out. How many of you today feel like you just need to escape and all the while God is actually calling you out of it? You see, grit says escape, work harder, be stronger. But then you hear this quiet invitation from the Lord where he is calling you out. Now, the exodus was an experience, okay? There are some things that happened where it wasn't too quiet. But in your heart this morning, I just wonder, I just wonder if there's something you would like to escape, and all the while the Lord is inviting you through the small, still voice of his spirit that he is calling you out to more. Because not only does the writer say, since my youth they have attacked me, what does he say in verse 1? Look back down at it. Sorry, verse 2, let Israel say, since my youth they have often attacked me, but they have not prevailed against me. In Jesus Christ, this is your story. Do you know that this morning? Do you know that when I say you are not strong enough, you are not brave enough, you do not have it all together, neither do I, that this is not me dogging you. This is me loving you and honestly loving me enough to testify and communicate clearly that you don't have it together because Jesus does. It's not just forget about it, you don't have it all together. It's you don't have it all together, but there's someone who does. And that someone is not asking you to escape your attacks, is not asking you to escape your suffering. He's just inviting you out, but better yet, the gospel says this, he is inviting himself in. This is what Christian perseverance is made of. You want the secret sauce? This is it. Christian perseverance. You are being attacked in every way, yet the enemy has not prevailed. You are being attacked in every single way, yet the enemy has not prevailed, not because of you, but because of him. Notice once again verse 3. And this is vivid. He says this in verse 3. Plowmen have plowed over my back. They have made their furrows long. Once again, this is a reference to the Egyptian slave drivers in Egypt who would literally rip the flesh off the backs of the Israelite slaves as they labored. The writer here says, not have I just struggled, but my suffering and struggles have been so, so deep, so, terri so terrific, so horrific that it is like I am laying in a field and the plowman is just plowing over my back. And suffering feels like this, does it not? Who has the high ground? The man laying in the dirt with his face down in it or the one doing the plowing over them? And so many times in our faith and in our life, we feel like, man, our face is just in the dirt. 
and the enemy, whoever the enemy is, whether it's spiritual warfare or someone has actually done something really hurtful towards you, you just feel like, man, they are just, they are destroying me. They have the high ground. It's just killing me. The Egyptians, or the Israelites, excuse me, who wrote this song know this well. They know this well. They heard stories of their ancestors being ripped apart as they made bricks for Pharaoh. And they think back to this, and they say, man, I, I remember that. I remember the stories of that. But then it goes deeper than that, because you have to think, like, it wasn't just being whipped by Egyptian slave drivers. It was deeper than that. So why did he choose this example? You see, the imagery of a back being split open by the accuser, an enemy, is a picture of what is to come. You see, what we see is not only does Jesus preserve us in suffering, but he is the sufferer. Isaiah 50 says this, it'll be on the screen. I gave my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who tore out my beard. I did not hide my face from scorn and spitting. Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities or sins. Punishment for our peace was on him. We are healed by his wounds. Whose back was truly spat upon and ripped open? Was it not the Lord's on your behalf? That as the psalmist writes, my back is like a plowing field for the enemy. And it's being ripped open and it's vivid here. We living in 2023 and by the spirit guiding the hand of the writer, we think back that Lord, yes, suffering feels like this sometimes, but your back was literally ripped open for my forgiveness and freedom. Not only does Jesus preserve us in the midst of suffering, he himself has suffered on our behalf. And the writers know that. Isaiah wrote that before Jesus came. But with full assurance that there was a messianic figure who was coming. And it would be by his stripes, not yours, not your battle scars. But by his scars, by his scars, that you would go free. Make no mistake about it. The Bible is one giant story that all points to the same man, Jesus of Nazareth. From Genesis to Revelation, it is all a story about him. And by his stripes, we are healed. And by his death, verse 4 in Psalm 129, this is what it says. The Lord is righteous. Why does he follow it up? As soon as he talks about uh, his back being plowed, he says, but the Lord is righteous. He has cut the ropes of the wicked. It does not sound like the Lord is righteous if his back is being plowed over. Unless it goes deeper than his back and it goes to the Lord's back. He Jesus has cut the ropes of the wicked by his righteousness. Jesus' suffering had a purpose, had a plan and a righteous outcome. And get this, church, so does yours. So does yours. Your suffering under the preserving grace of our Lord changes everything. Changes everything. And you need to believe this morning. You need to trust that as the Lord holds you, he is inviting you to suffer well with him. Like inviting you. It's the human experience. We cannot escape it. 
And the Lord is inviting you to suffer well. I love this quote. It's a little bit longer, so I'm just going to read it. Just listen to it. It's by Milton Vincent in his, uh, his little book, A Gospel Primer. This is what he says about you and I suffering. And I think some of you need to come up to me after and be like, hey, what was that quote? Because i got to print it out and put it on my bathroom mirror. More than anything else could ever do, the gospel enables me to embrace my tribulations and thereby position myself to gain full benefit from them. For the gospel is the one great permanent circumstance in which I live and move and every hardship in my life is allowed by God only because it serves his gospel purposes in me. When I view my circumstances in this light, I realize that the gospel is not just one piece of good news that fits into my life somewhere among the bad. Instead, I realize that the gospel makes genuinely good news out of every aspect of my life, including, get this, my severest trials. The good news about my trials is that God is forcing them to bow to his gospel purposes and do good unto me by improving my character and making me more conformed to the image of Christ. Preaching the gospel to myself each day provides a lens through which I can view my trials and in this way see the true cause for intelligent rejoicing that exists in them. In the last sentence here, I can then embrace them as friends and allow them to do God's good work in me. Is suffering fun? No. Like, don't Jesus juke me. It's not fun. But is suffering wasted? Never. Never. And Milton Vincent in this last statement, I can then embrace them. I can embrace my sufferings as friends and allow them to do God's good work in me is vastly different than what the enemy of the soul wants for you. Think about this. You're going to the gym and you're lifting and you start to get stronger and so you start stacking the plates on the barbell. And under the pressure, the, the weight is like really, really heavy, but you have a spotter, you're doing all the right things, and, and, and under the pressure of the weight, it actually strengthens you. It actually does something good for you, and, and, and you max out, and you get a few reps in, and you put it back, and you feel really good because the pressure of the weight in working out, it actually did its job. Now, just imagine you're on the same weight bench, lifting the same weight, and someone comes, and instead of putting another plate on the side of the barbell, they just drop it on you. It's the same weight. But one actually pushes you further, and the other one really cripples you. You see, suffering is suffering, and it's all about perspective. Because in the gospel, the suffering that you and I experience is like the weight on a barbell. And it's not you holding it, it's the Lord's. However, the weight is there to what? Make us stronger. The enemy would have you lay on the bench and drop the suffering on your chest, take the breath out of you, and believe that nothing good is coming out of this and that the weight is there to hurt you. And so many of us walk around and we're white-knuckling it and we're just grinning and we're bearing it and we're being stronger and we're getting better. And all the while, all the while, it just feels like life is hitting us in the chest. And it's not doing good things for us. It's making it worse. In the midst of your trials and suffering, the enemy wants you crippled. He wants you crippled. He wants you to disregard the goodness of God. 
He wants you to disregard the pressure, disregard the reality that the writers of Scripture tell us that diamonds are uh, refined by fire, that there is immense pressure that takes in reforming gemstones. The enemy wants you to forget that God is the great physician with the sharpest scalpel who never makes the wrong incision, who never makes the wrong cut. He is the potter who is forming you. He is the one with the chisel cutting away everything that does not look like him for your good. That is how the scriptures paint him. Yet the enemy would want you to think that he is out to get you. And when your life comes under fire, it's up to you to preserve yourself because you're about to die. The enemy, the enemy wants to drop the plate on your chest. And all the while, God may be orchestrating the lifting. And to that effect, we finish out this psalm with Psalm 129 and the last couple verses, and we're done. After the writer writes, he has cut the ropes of the wicked, and he describes the suffering they have undergone. This is what he says, and this is a prayer. Verse 5, let all who hate Zion be driven back in disgrace. Is that how you start your prayers? Let them be like grass on the rooftop, which withers before it grows up. And can't even feel the hands of the reaper or the arms of the one who binds sheaves. Then none who pass by will say, may the Lord's blessing be on you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Found within this prayer is the reality of human emotion. Whatever happened to love your enemies? Like, like I know Jesus isn't on the scene yet, but like, is that not there? Like, yeah, in Leviticus. Leviticus actually talks about like, hey, if your neighbor harms you, do good to them. It was there. So what's going on here? What's going on here is progress, not perfection. They are not perfect saints. They are human beings with the emotion of screw this and screw you. And I apologize, there's children in the room and I just thought of that. But is this not us? Yeah. (laughs) It's not just pure anger. It's not just pure anger here in the psalm. I believe it's rooted in the right attitude of I hate this and it shouldn't be like this. Have you ever felt like that? Parents, your child runs into the road without looking. A car is not coming, but they run into the road without looking. How do you address them? Hey, Jane. That's my daughter. She's seven months. She's not in the road yet. <laughs> hey, hey, Jane, come over here. No, it's like, get, what do you look both ways? And it's anger rooted in what? Love. It's like, I'm, I'm not actually mad at you, but I, I'm sorry. My emotion was like, get, no, what are you doing? You grab them and you're like, you look both ways. And it's kind of the same thing here. Have you ever seen a circumstance, whether it's yours or someone else's, and you're like, it just shouldn't be like that. It just should not be like that. Forget this and forget them. It shouldn't be like that. Have you ever had situations like that? That's what is happening here. The psalmist is praying, we know our suffering, and the Lord has cut the ropes of the wicked. Yet, all those who hate Zion, let them be driven back let them fail and then in the midst of this we get some comedic relief 
He says, let them wither like grass on the rooftops so that no one can come by and be like, man, your yard's looking great. And in the ancient Near East, their, their rooftops were flat and grass would grow up, but obviously it's hot and grass would wither. And so there's comedy found within this psalm. And he's like, man, I really hope that that's what their life looks like. That they would wither like grass on the rooftop so no one can come by and be like, may the Lord bless you and keep you, brother. Looking great. Let them wither. Let them wither like grass on the rooftops. Guys, I, I, I get it. Like, your life today may look awful based on a fallen world or things you've done or things that have been done to you. There's many different reasons. But I believe we can all relate and we can all get one another when it comes to the condition of human suffering. This idea that we could tell stories of how bad life has gotten before. This idea that we could go around and be like, yeah, I, I hate that that happened to you. It should not be like that. The reality that suffering is a part of our condition, yet God is doing something. And where I want to end today, and I'll invite the ladies back up, is just this encouragement for you. That the schemes of the enemy and the suffering of this world will not last. You see, at the end of the day, even though it's comedic in Psalm 129, the writer is getting at something. Ultimately, suffering and hardship is like grass on the rooftops in Palestine. It has a time limit. It has an expiration date. It can't outrun the heat. And the schemes of this enemy and the suffering of this world will not last. And at the end of the day, they will not prosper, even if right now it feels like they're winning. I just wonder if anybody in here today feels like the enemy is winning. And you need to know that today, one day, maybe not today, but one day... It will all be undone as Jesus cuts the cords of the wicked for good. You see, that is the gospel. Not that when Jesus died on a cross for your behalf, everything would, would, would magically just get better. But that his sacrifice on the cross cut the, the cords of the unrighteous for like eternity. And that while you may suffer things here on this earth, even death on this earth, it can't hold you. The ropes of death are no longer on you because Jesus went to the cross on your behalf, died a death that you deserve, was buried, laid in a tomb, and resurrected three days later over death, hell, and the grave, and now says, follow me. And if that guy's alive, I'm following him. That is the reality of the story that you walk in, even if life looks like garbage. And Jesus knew this. And so the message today is not white knuckle it and get better. The message today is hold on and hold on knowing who is holding you. Our hold on looks way different than the world's hold on. Looks way different. Because your testimony in Jesus is take everything of this world from me and I still have everything that I need. Your holding on looks way different than the world's holding on. You do not have to grin and bear it. You can express anger, you can express sadness, frustration, whatever, whatever. Knowing and believing that he is with you. And so this morning we're changing it up a little bit. We do communion every single Sunday, but normally we have a song and some prayer time before it. But today we actually wanted to put it um, right after the message. Because I don't know if anything says, hold on, I got you like the Lord's Supper. 
Because what the supper does is unites us, catch this, unites us in his suffering. Nothing says I am holding you like this. The meal as we partake in symbolizes, Lord, you suffered and I take part in your suffering, not in the crossway, but in the human experience. And in your suffering, I also take part in your resurrection. Listen to these words from Paul in Romans 8. Don't take my word for it. Listen to these. And this may be the greatest encouragement that you hear today when it comes to suffering. Romans 8, starting verse 15, it says this. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirits to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. And in fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we also must share in his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day where it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. And we believers also groan. Have you ever groaned in here? Because life is just so terrible. We believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit with us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Is that anybody's reality this morning? We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something that we don't have yet, we must wait patiently and confidently. Friends, this is the last thing I'll say and I'm done. Persevere because this is not the end. Persevere because this is not the end. And persevere unlike the rest of the world. Your perseverance looks like trust, belief, assurance. Your perseverance looks like faith. And so what we're going to do is come to this table, a table that symbolizes perseverance, that the Lord facing the darkest hour of his human life persevered to the cross. Philippians tells us that he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, that it was his perseverance that would make us new again. And so I'm